As high performers, we see the world differently. In a world that not only tolerates but promotes mediocrity, who do we turn to when we want to be great? Where are the guides? What's the blueprint? This podcast gives you access to the most successful people from around the world so that you can elevate every area of your life. This is more than just about making money. It's about living a life that lights you up so that you can illuminate the world. Welcome to Elevate. I'm Jack DeLosa. Let's get into it. Today's conversation is one of the most fundamentally important conversations you may ever hear. I'm joined by good friend and fellow Australian entrepreneur, Steph Sifandos, here in Austin. We talk about how to build meaningful relationships. We talk about how every relationship starts with self. We talk about the importance of doing the inner work so that you're showing up in your relationships as your best self. And we talk about whether you're coming from in your masculine power or your feminine power, how to truly grow into the best version of yourself for yourself and others. This is an amazing conversation. Steph, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you for having me, my man. Before we went live, we were looking at a video on your phone of you and your daughter, and it's perhaps one of the most beautiful videos I've seen of a father and a daughter as you humming Mm. uh, as she fell asleep. How has the fatherhood journey been for you? Yeah. Um, it's 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 torn me in both directions. Both directions meaning it's beautiful. It's I'm so grateful. I love it all. And what is happening in my life? Like my identity shift. Right. It's yes. just and and you know we spoke and we speak to freedom. And I think freedom is for me. Freedom is the most important, probably the most important value I hold mm. to me. Mm. But it's also my biggest shadow and it has mm. been and I, and I will unpack that as well and you know I think most entrepreneurs that can listen to this that have done some level of inner work that have some level of self-awareness can relate to oh that freedom thing actually is a pain for me when I don't have it or when I think I don't have it mm. and so for me you know I found myself previous to having this beautiful baby girl in the world um working, expressing, being creative, doing the things that I do in the world. And in between to find reprieve and sort of ground, I would either, you know, exercise or um, sit in stillness or watch something funny on YouTube or listen to some philosophy or whatever it is, right? My audio book, some music, whatever it is. Now, because I am on paternity leave for a period of time, I find myself the in-between states where I have some freedom i'm doing the work you know i'm project managing this i'm getting back to one of my clients whatever it may be that i'm doing right yes. you know, running multiple businesses that i have going on and so it's interesting my relationship to time how that's changed man mm. it's really really shifted mm. um even even in the morning like i'm i'm pretty astute in the morning i get up and i'm boom i'm, I'm in life right mm. but even now like i Oh, I better, I better brush my teeth and do my morning ritual quickly before I have to attend to, and it's not even a have to, I mm. want to attend to, I want to spend my morning time with my baby girl. And it's just a massive shift for me, man. Mm. Massive shift. One of the things you said before we went live was freedom is one of your biggest drivers and one of your biggest voids, mm. which is something I think a lot of high performers will be able to relate to. Unpack that for us a little bit. Mm. 
we spoke about Dr. John Demartini, and I'm so happy that he's a friend of yours. He's he's a really cool guy. Mm. He said our our voids often become our values, and for me that was very true. Was freedom is my highest value, mm. and it also has been my greatest void, and and I will unpack that. And so I grew up in. Firstly, let me actually go back a little bit. Our I'm I'm a big believer, and I'm very clear from all the work I've done in myself and the thousands and thousands of clients I've worked with individually that our early childhood developmental experiences shape who we become as adults yes as they shape who we become as adults we learn more about ourselves but we develop very specific coping strategies or protective mechanisms we'll get into a little later maybe but protective mechanisms that keep us quote-unquote socially and emotionally safe Mm. but what they often also do is push people away which is what we don't really want Mm. and so growing up for me i had a very volatile violent abusive childhood Mm. I did have love. I did experience closeness with my parents. That added to the confusion and a a confused nervous and a dysregulated nervous system because there was moments of love and affection, but for the majority of the time, there was volatility and uncertainty. There was just so much unknown. Mm. And it was very painful growing up. I didn't know what to expect. That coupled with enmeshment from my mother, which is her unconscious projections of having her emotional needs to be filled not from her partner because my father was unavailable to her and us as a family generally speaking then that gets unconsciously projected onto the child eldest child usually me uh hearing her say if i wasn't here if i didn't have both you and your brother i wouldn't be here i'd be Mm. elsewhere i'd be following my dreams as an egyptologist in egypt or i wouldn't you know i wouldn't be so controlled in this in this environment like Hearing those things, I developed Mm. this idea of what freedom is. Seeing my father constrained by his anger and his aggression and Mm. his financial lack of financial acumen, I should say, and blaming others so much. Like I I developed this idea of like, I need to be free in the world because I feel so restricted now. The very few moments of reprieve that I would have as a child would be with my grandparents, my maternal grandparents. Mm. Um, And and I come from a Greek Italian background. My father's Greek, my mother's Italian. So food is a very big thing for us. Like yeah. Culturally, it's just a big thing. Um, you know, we celebrate food. We get together around food. We love around food. We share around food. And my grandmother was an amazing cook. And she would just make beautiful food that would be very nourishing and would put pleasure back into my body where I experienced so much pain. Mm. And so, you know, it was, it was moments like that where I felt freedom. You know, when, when my parents weren't around, I mm. felt that freedom and I craved that. But obviously my parents didn't, not obviously, but they didn't neglect us. Mm. So I had them in my, in my life, but in those moments where I didn't have them, I felt free. And so I started developing this idea of what freedom is and what freedom was for me. And so, you know, growing up, um, I became very rebellious I got involved in crime, I got involved in gangs, I really pushed the envelope on pushing adrenaline and feeling freedom, doing whatever the fuck I want, however I want, when I want. Mm. As an adult in intimate relationship, it was infidelity, it was cheating, it was prostitution, it was visiting massage parlors that were more than just massage parlors. Mm. Because what I identified in my body was, and, and we all attach to different ways or different addictions, different ways to numb, whatever it may be. For me, it was... I literally started to feel like I was dying inside, like this sense of annihilation in, oh in intimate relationship. Oh, God. 
yeah, that, that, that there yeah. after a couple of years, right? Sometimes, sometimes six months, sometimes a year, it would depend on the, the dynamic of that relationship and where right. I was in my life, but it was inevitable. Mm. It was inevitable. Mm. It, and there'd be me pulling back. And the way I would feel like I wasn't dying would be to have sex with as many women as I could as often as possible in whichever mm. way I could. Mm. And just the, but, but in the shadows, mm. like I wasn't transparent about that because I, my self-worth was so low and it was masked with false bravado and ego and false pretense and fear of actually visiting the pain that was residing within me that was left unchecked and unresolved mm. that I hadn't looked at. It was a lot of unconscious pain. I didn't know where my behavior was coming from. I didn't know why my businesses were failing. I didn't know why my relationships were failing. I didn't know why I was pushing myself to the edge in physical accomplishment and physical training like mm. all the time. It was, the place that it was coming from was a place of void or deficit. Mm. Mm. Part of my reaction there is my journey and, and my patterns in adult relationships were very similar to the ones that you're outlining now. Mm. It's one of the areas I really want to go deep with you on today, which is doing the inner child work, which is something that I started to do only a couple of years ago now. But, you know, part of the, part of the reason for that, because I've been, I've been studying and employing and deploying personal development and high-performance mindset my entire, literally since I was six, right? Wow. How, as, as I know, you have been involved in the personal development world forever as well. However, a lot of what goes on in the personal development world is almost frames out going back and doing the inner child work. You know, you'll hear, hear statements like, um, don't bother going and seeing a psychologist. They'll just talk to you about your past and your story and they'll do that for 20 years and you'll just become more entrenched in your story. Mm. Now, a part of that's true. If you go and yep. see a psychologist and all you do is talk about your past for 20 years, that's not going to be overly constructive. However, what I've experienced in myself and what I've witnessed in you and a lot of my closest friends that have grown into men and women that I have a huge amount of respect for, which is until you go back and heal the past mm. until you go back and heal the inner child wounds you're not going to be a whole functional adult right and i had all of the capability all of the language from personal development and neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavioral therapy and all of the things but not having done the inner child work until a couple of years ago i still felt like i had this small gaping hole mm. at the in the pit of my stomach Hey team, I hope this conversation is resonating with you deeply. If it is, post it up over on Instagram, tag me at Jack Delosa so that I can regram you and stay connected with you over on that platform. Do that now. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And for me, how it showed up is exactly what you just outlined with your mother. What happened with me, long story short, in my later teenage years is I grew up in a family of five. So it was mom, dad. Uh, two older brothers and me. Mm. Uh, when I was about 13, my parents separated. So, you know, there's now four people at home. You're the most successful one in your family, outwardly successful? Yes. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And then, so, so now there's four people at home. Then my oldest brother, Chris, uh, you know, leaves home, moves out because he's of age and he's going to live his life. So now there's three people living at home. Then when I was 18, my middle brother, Tom, three years older than I was, uh, died as a result of heroin use. Mm. And so now there's two, me and mum. 
And mum's whole identity at that point, I was 18. Her whole identity, and Chris would have been 24. So her whole identity for a quarter of the century leading up to that point was mum. That's all That's all she knew. Yeah. And now dad had left, Chris had left the house, and, and Tom had passed away. So it was me and mum. And so it was absolute uh, enmeshment. That's yeah. what it was. And my, how, my relationship pattern that kept showing up for me throughout my 20s was a couple of years into a relationship, I would feel suffocated. I would feel smothered. I would feel a little bit manipulated. And I, I would feel trapped. And I would look for the exit. I would look for the escape. And often I would take it, right? And so this went on for like probably three relationships over three years. So it's like a decade. And I get to a point where I'm like, Jack, the only common denominator in all of these relationships is you. So there's, there's something here that you're not quite seeing yet. And it wasn't until I started to do the inner child work, my therapist asked me, how did you feel when you were 18, 19, 20 living with your mum? Because at one point I even tried to move out. And mum said, Jack, I feel abandoned. So I actually moved back wow. in. I remember thinking, how long am I going to need to live here for? Um, like, what's the strategy here? Like, when, when do you think you'll... And I never said any of this or voiced any of this, but mm. in my mind I'm thinking, when are you going to be self-sufficient enough such that I can leave home? And my therapist said to me, how did you feel from 18, 19, 20, 21? And I said, smothered, trapped, manipulated, like I wanted the exit, like I wanted an escape and I wanted to take the exit and the escape. It was exactly how I had been feeling at the two to three year mark of my romantic relationships throughout my 20s. And so it was about becoming consciously aware. Of, I didn't even know what enmeshment was. Mm. It was about becoming consciously aware of the enmeshment, working through that, doing some reparenting stuff that I was then able to break free of that limiting relationship pattern. Can you talk to us, mate, about the importance of childhood work, mm. doing the inner child work and healing oneself and the resolution that that can create in freeing us from unconscious patterns that we might be running in adult life. Yeah, so many layers to this, right? So firstly, no matter who we are, we're human and we're open and exposed to the human condition. Mm -hmm. Part of the human condition is compartmentalizing trauma and compartmentalizing challenge. Mm. In a child work, in a child healing as a modality for dealing with what has been unchecked or unfelt or suppressed and or repressed in life is a powerful modality. It's not the only one, but it's a powerful one. One of the issues that we have with cognitive therapies or talk therapies that we're just recycling information mm. and like you mentioned earlier we're, we're just entrenching a story that actually doesn't serve us mm. and so what in a child does is access these unconscious compartmentalized parts of us when we couple that with somatic work as well where we're actually you know neurologically closing the loop on trauma that's been stuck in our bodies at a cellular level we're able to free ourselves from those stories not only in in, in, in a cognitive sense, but in a somatic sense, a very visceral sense, mm. right? And so one of the biggest issues that we have with the personal growth industry or the mindset movement is that we try to think ourselves out of our pain. Yes. That can work under certain circumstances for certain periods of time. Yes. But all we're doing is putting lipstick on a pig at some point, right? Like you've got to deal with the core wounds and the yes. core attachments. 
uh, and the infliction of that pain, the original infliction of that pain, because think of it this way, look at it this way, think of a, a gold chain, a thin gold chain that's really tangled up, right, and it's in the bottom of your drawer and you, and you get it out and you're trying to un undo the chain and all these knots just don't work, you just get, you're just knotting it more and more, but then you get to that one knot and that one knot begins to unravel all the other knots mm. that's that's deep inner work that's beyond just mindset work so i'm not, i'm all for mindset i've worked with elite special forces soldiers right. gold medalists olympians like we we have to engage in mindset yes under certain circumstances but when we're talking about doing deeper work it's a process and a journey and it's an integration of the whole being and no one is exempt from that it doesn't matter how many millions of dollars or billions of dollars you have in your bank account yeah. it doesn't matter how much impact you make in the world in terms of people you are susceptible to experiences that may hurt you that you may then repress and suppress you know consciously and unconsciously as a defensive protective strategy to keep your inner being your inner child safe that vulnerable part of you and that's that's what happens, isn't it? Is that people who are able to become super successful, it, it it's almost a double edged sword because they're so good at playing the external game, yep. and so good at uh, creating the successful businesses or the successful music career or the successful practice, whatever that might be. So good at showing up at the cocktail parties or on stage, you know, being that performative person yep. yet there's an emptiness inside of them that may never be addressed because we've become so capable at the external stuff it's it's our inability to grieve mm. my man that's mm. that's essentially i mean it's not that's not all it is there again there are layers to this but our inability to grieve or our unwillingness to grieve, our fear to grieve what was lost or what we didn't have, or not having the parents that we really truly desired, not being seen in the way that we needed to be seen and heard and felt and understood and respected and appreciated, basic human needs. Mm. We, If we don't feel significant and we don't feel loved by the people in our lives that we project need to love us mm. we will seek that elsewhere and we'll often seek it in more extreme ways because the pain and the void of not experiencing that love from those that we truly feel we need to have that love from we have to find it in really intense ways outside of that scenario and so it changes the way we operate and interact with people. You mentioned manipulation earlier. Like we'll wear masks to pretend to be someone that we're not. Two reasons. One, because we're trying to get people into our ecosystem of can you just love me for can you just love me? So I'll do whatever it takes for you to love me. Yes. And the other part to that is, well, if you hurt me, you're not really hurting me. You're hurting this mask. Yes. And that's more palatable than you seeing the truth of who I am and hurting that. And that's why inner child work is so important because we're reconciling the inner child. We're reconciling those wounded, hurt parts. We're learning to reparent ourselves because let's face it, most I'm going to say something straight up and I'm not, I'm not saying this from arrogance and I have a lot of work to do and I do my inner work on a daily basis. Like yeah. Christine and I, my wife had an argument, uh, not yesterday, the day before. And it was a big argument, it was a big blowout, mm. right? And, and so yesterday we reconciled and we repaired and we and, and I apologized and she apologized for her part and we, wor we worked and talked through it. So mm. I'm, I'm not exempt to any of this, mm. but I am a generational pattern breaker. There's no fucking way that I will be doing what my parents did to me, not to my child, no fucking way. Because I can't, I can't be responsible for. That. I will not be responsible for that with the knowledge that I have and the awareness and the wisdom that I have. And so, 
if you're listening to this and you're a generational pattern breaker, it requires effort and work. Mm. And it requires going, my experience has been, I've had to go in the deep end of my own soul, mm. the deep end of my own pain. And I've had to visit those places and I've had to grieve. We don't grieve. And so inner child work, in, in essence, in short, and somatic work and trauma release work is grieving in safe spaces. Mm. We are relational beings. We have to understand that. We have to understand that we function best in healthy, safe relationship to another. In the presence of another, when their nervous system is safe, our neuroception through our enteric system picks up on that safety, mm. picks up on that person that, for lack of a better term, has done their inner work, is equilibrated, right? Is is an admirable person. They know themselves. They're, they're able to hold themselves in posture. They're able to not be reactive. They're not controlled by their emotions or their past. Our nervous systems pick up on that. And so when we pick up on that, we then feel safe. It sends information to our brain. This person is safe. Mm. This environment is safe. I can relax into myself a little more. Now we're expressing and being in ways that we never have before, whether that's in the presence of a friend or a coach you know, or a therapist. You know, you mentioned this earlier. A coach will always bring you into the future. They'll tell mm. you how good life can be and they'll orientate you towards those goals. And a therapist will just talk about your past. They'll work with your past. Somewhere in the middle, there's a, there's a happy balance there or a happy equilibrium where we're able to deal with the unfelt and the unconscious of the past. Mm. And maybe at the same time, at times, but interchangeably we're able to focus on the future and know that there is a version of us that exists in the world that isn't attached to and shackled by the past and the pain of the past and the trauma of the past and that doesn't need to be our story that we need to continue to identify with because what happens is we identify with that story and we behave from that place now when we behave from that place we can either be abrupt we can be aggressive we can be people pleasing we can be manipulative we can be uh, hiding from the world but either way we're not being our true selves because we're too scared to touch who we really are mm, mm. and i said a lot then sorry man <laughs> do not apologize for everything you just said that was absolutely beautiful it's part of the conversation i'm often having with high performers which is we live in a world which makes the external supreme to the ignorance of our inner world. And so my view is not that the external pursuits are a bad thing, right? That, you know, to, to, to live in a beautiful home that's an expression of who you are, beautiful. To drive your dream car, rock and roll. To be in a great relationship, really profoundly important, right? I think the question that we're asking is, what is the fuel you're using to get there? That. Right? Where does it come from? Yes. Where does it come from? Because until we've done the healing work of the past, we're driven by anger, angst, jealousy, frustration, aggression, right? And so one of the conversations I'm often having with high performers is uh, they'll say to me, but Jack, if, 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 if I heal all of that and I'm, and I'm living from a place of joy and compassion and inspiration, won't I lose my drive? And the answer is absolutely not. It's, it's scientifically proven that when we're operating from a place of, uh, you know, inspiration and when we're operating from a place of being whole rather than being empty or coming mm. from a place of deficit, you're smarter. Your intellect increases. We're more creative. You, we're, we're more effective at long-term decision-making because our decisions that we're making in the present aren't designed to alleviate immediate pain we're able to see problems clearer and make more effective long-term decisions mm -hmm. and so you actually become significantly better 
by healing the wounds of the past. Another thing, mate, I'd love to go deep with you on is uh, you spoke before about, and again, this is something that I can so relate to. You, you were saying, you know, um, in your childhood, uh, there was abuse and there was neglect, but it wasn't always that way and there were some good aspects as well. Another thing that prevented me from going back and looking into the past was mm. I had this script that my childhood was perfect and my parents were perfect. Now, my, my parents might have been as close to as perfect as humanly possible. Sure. However, nobody moves through childhood without trauma. And even trauma is a triggering word for a lot of people because we hear trauma and we think sure. being crucified on the cross kind of thing. And extremes. often extremes, and that's not it. Can you talk to us about how everybody has stuff in the past that can heal? Yeah. Uh, I want to make a connection for the audience as well. I think it might be really useful. You talk, you spoke about wholeness. I love that you even use that in your vernacular as well. Like wholeness is such an important mm. term, man. And I'm of the belief that our, our true essence is wholeness and we, we, we never actually deviate from being that, but we deviate from believing that and knowing that. Mm. And as a result of that, we move through the world with a fractured sense of self. Yes. And I don't mean that in a, in a clinically diagnosable way. I'm talking about we just feel broken. We feel unworthy. We feel we're not enough. And we try and compensate. The, mm. the greater the pain, the greater the pleasure that we require to compensate for that pain. That's a big one. The greater the pain, the greater the pleasure we need to compensate for, for that, that pain. pain. Yeah. And it will come in different ways. Some people will use heroin. Some people will use food. Some people will use relationships, sex, TV, whatever it may be. Accomplishment, adrenaline, doesn't matter. I guarantee you, I'm so certain of this, that if we were to do uh, a, a, a deeper analysis on... Um, extreme athletes mm. like i'm talking extreme athletes that do the mm. crazy death-defying stuff i would mm. say that 9.9 .9 out of 10 have had quite traumatic childhoods yes at some level yes back to back to the the fractured piece when we feel fractured we're in fear and we're in fear because we're scared of what wholeness may feel like we're scared to actually value ourselves there's a fear because it's unknown right and so with that fracture comes fear and fear brings contraction, physiological contraction. So now our nervous system is more in a sympathetically activated state. So the hormonal profile that's associated with that is different to when our nervous systems are in a parasympathetic response. Yes. And so if, we, if our base level is sympathetic nervous system, we're operating from a place of contraction and deficit. Physiologically, that becomes our physical reality. When we're coming from a whole expanded place... We don't come from deficit. Our nervous systems, our body posture is more open. We see the world differently. We don't see the world through a lens of greater threat. We see the world through a lens of greater opportunity. And, and I think that's just really powerful to, mm. to, to mention that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And talk to us about the story around that most of us have or had around my childhood was good. Mm. I had everything I needed. Mm. My parents loved me. I don't have trauma. Yeah. So here's, here's my perspective. I, I can't say for certain that no one experiences trauma. And, and let's actually break that down for a moment. There's big T trauma, there's little T trauma. Yeah. The big T trauma is the more acute, chronic, 
um, very overt, obvious trauma. Yes. Physical abuse, uh, invasive abuse, you know, sexual abuse, rape, growing up in a war-torn country, uh, being abandoned, um, having a, being in a severe uh, traumatic car accident, as an example. We have little t trauma, which is more subtle trauma. Trauma can still be repetitive and chronic, but more subtle. Like an example of that could be. You know, you come home and you got a B plus in your exam and you bring yeah. that to your mom and your dad and you say, look, you're excited, you got a B plus. And they they sort of look to you with some despondency and it's like, oh, that's okay. And they, they, they're like, well, you could have done better. And and there's that, right? And then over, over a 10-year period, this, uh, I don't really, I'm not really interested in your Bs or your B minuses or your B pluses. That develops an aptitude and a personality of, high performance at any cost potentially yeah or hyper competitiveness or low self-worth there's a trauma in that now to say that every person experiences trauma it's a little challenging for my constitution to say that although parts of me really believe that because we're human we come into this world with for lack of a better term deficits yeah not knowing everything not not being fully connected to the true essence that is us which is wholeness and as a result of that we make choices we behave in certain ways that hurt us and hurt others now, how we interpret that, because trauma isn't so much about the experience, it's how our being, particularly our nervous system, interprets that event or those events. Yes. And so, has there been a time when as a child you cried and you thought that your parents weren't around, but that maybe wasn't their intention and they were just gone for a second too long and you made exactly. that mean that you're not enough. or exactly. you're about- So, I can agree with what you're saying there, yeah. right? Like, that's where humor is, part of the human condition. So when we don't deal with those traumas, they stay with us for life. They run the show unconsciously. 95% of the mind is, 95 plus percent of the mind is unconscious. It's estimated that we have anywhere, the, 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 the numbers are so vast, that 45 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Mm. 90 plus, 95% plus of those are recycled thoughts mm. and unconscious. Mm. Like it's just, there's just, there's so much complexity and layers to who we are as humans mm. that if we don't proactively, this is key, man, this is key. If we don't proactively seek to become greater versions of ourselves, I don't want to say every moment of every day because there's pause there. There's time for reflection and integration mm. and so forth. But if we don't carry an intention to proactively realize that, hey, maybe we've got some shit that we need to work through. Mm. And maybe I am the common denominator in my life and I keep bringing these same experiences into my life over and over again. And maybe it's time to look at myself, not to blame myself with judgment because that just creates more constriction, but to look at myself with with keen, as, as objective as I can observation and say, you know what? I think it's time to go a little deeper. Mm. I think it's time to reassess my values. I think it's time to release some pain, anger, sadness, I think it's time to be witnessed in ways I was never witnessed. That's this is why the work that I do, like the men's work that I do, you you um you were a part of that. And this Thursday, by the way, I'll, I'll be there. I've been missing it. Legendary, uh, <laughs> legendary. You know that's why that work is so important to be seen in that way. You it know, is. and to see others as well. One of the things you said there was really profound, which is doing the work without self judgment because that just creates restriction. In my observation, a lot of what prevents people from doing this work is I'm scared to go back. I'm really scared to self-analyze in a deep and honest way because I'm actually fearful for what I will see. I'm actually fearful of what I will be confronted by. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. 
What advice do you give to somebody that's there? A while back in this conversation, or a few moments back in this conversation, I spoke about safety. Mm. And I spoke about the intelligence of our nervous systems, our bodies, our minds, the entire mind-body complex. Mm. Knowing when someone is safe. Mm. having you, know, you just have that feeling that this person is integrated. This person is a safe place and space for me to be as much as myself as possible. We need to feel safe enough to be able to, and, and this is the key, enough, not safe. It's not, You're not waiting for the thing to happen before you do the thing. You're not waiting to lose 10 kilos before you go to the gym to lose 10 kilos. Mm. You've got to feel safe enough to be able to explore the unknown. In, in, what, in we, My wife and I and another couple have a coaching institute. And in the coaching institute, in this coaching institute, ugh, coaching institute, <laughs> we, we speak to um, a, a few different processes that we've we've created based on on, on years and years of trauma th- uh, development as well and education, but one of them is 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 edging and expanding our window of tolerance. Yes, and we don't we don't want to get to the edge and then leap. We just want to get to the edge and peer over, and we mm. just we, we do that repetitively and we just keep expanding. So we confront these challenging parts of ourselves. Mm. Firstly, in the presence of safe individuals, groups, or an individual. Mm. Secondly, slowly, that's called titration. And, and thirdly, pendulation, which is we're in the experience. Now let me come back out of the experience. Let me regulate in my body. We may, we may, we may engage in some grounding, somatic practices, some grounding resources, somatic resources to feel that we're safe in our bodies again. That could be some mindfulness training. Like for example, let's say I'm having a, a traumatic response. So I'm revisiting something or I'm, I'm re-feeling something that wasn't really felt properly in, from my childhood. And it's bringing up a lot of emotion and I feel like I'm becoming out of control. So one of the things that I may do is I may start to breathe a little slower deliberately mm. i'm going to leverage tools that i have mm. i'm going to start looking around my environment i'm going to there's a microphone there that microphone is black shaped sort of like an oval i start mm. bringing presence to the present moment mm. i may start squeezing the tips of my thumbs i'm really feeling my body i may have a warm shower I may drink a glass of water i want to come back into the body i want to regulate the body so what I've done is I've just gone into an experience that was quite traumatic. I didn't go all the way in where it's too much because mm. trauma is too much, too soon, too fast, mm. right? So we don't want to heal the same way. It's an oxymoron, so, <laughs> which is what, <laughs> which is what high performers do. That's what we do. That's what I, I can did. totally relate to everything 100%. you're saying right now. I went, I went all the way and I'm like, well, I'm either going to commit suicide, which I've faced that precipice many times. I'm going to end up in a mental asylum or I'm going to get through this thing that I'm in right now. And that's happened a couple of big times in my life. And I'm going to get through it and be able to share and just be able to be, feel more whole in my being. Luckily, it was the last. Mm. But I was committed to the suicide. I was committed to the mentalist. Mm. I was committed at any cost. Yeah. So we'll do that. Like we, we, we try to heal in the same way that we experience the trauma too much, too soon, too fast. Amazing. It's we don't am- want to do that. I've never thought of <laughs> you said You said you, you engage in the healing because we're talking about doing it safely and at one's yeah. own pace. Yeah. Even as I sit here today to, to share vulnerably, I'd never thought of you, you, you go into the healing work and then at times you might actually take yourself out of it, yeah. respite, re-regulate yes. bef- before you re-engage. I, I, moderation is still something that I'm working on. I'm hands up for that too, brother. <laughs> 100%, I feel you. We're talking about complexities and layers to this. I want to go to the heart of your work and and... and something that's so fundamental to every individual 
uh, and our society at large, which is uh, masculinity and femininity and how that and the interplay of those two things in relationships. I think that culturally we misunderstand what both true, authentic masculinity is and true, authentic femininity is. So to start this stage of the conversation, can you talk to us about, let's start with masculinity. What is true and empowered masculinity? What a fucking can of worms you just opened. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. What a question. Um, Okay. So, authors and and critical thinkers on masculinity such as Jack Donovan would say that there is a distinction in masculinity and there's the distinction of uh, you're a good man and the other distinction is you're good at being a man. And if we understand what good at being a man is and and if we take the premise and the belief that masculinity will be more prominent, more natural, more dominant in men in males mm. and femininity will be more prominent, dominant, natural, accessible, if you like, to females. If you take that premise, then we can look at what does it mean to be a good man because we're also looking at what is somewhat, uh, I don't want to say healthy masculinity, but masculinity that's actually in alignment with the truth of being masculine. Yes. Before I get to that, and I'll come on that in a moment, mm. and I align with that ethos with what Jack Donovan says and what he's essentially saying is that we need to look at our evolutionary roots to see how we've developed as men in cultural, social settings, but also biologically. I resonate with that. And I've taken it a few steps further and I've even gone deeper with that. I, I think I, but he's a prolific thinker in my, from my perspective. But before we do that, we, we do want to understand that masculine, feminine, at some level as well, when we're talking about, and this is why it's such a complex subject, when we're talking about polarity, it, 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 the energetic of that resides within every human being. Right? When we're talking about base function, Potentially not necessarily, and I'll come back to that in a second. But when we're talking about polarity, sexual and attraction dynamics, mm. right, we also need to understand and come back full circle for a moment to the inner child work mm. that the way we give and receive love is developed from a very early age. And so then it would go without saying that masculine feminine polarity dynamics is more of a symptom of how you evolved and how you grew up during your developmental years. What you witnessed as healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships, how you related to sex, what you learnt about sex. Mm. So we have to address all of that before we can look at masculine feminine polarity. Mm. Hey team, I hope this conversation is resonating. Sometimes when we learn things like these, we can immediately think of others that we wish were here, hearing this very conversation that you are now. If that's you, share it with that friend, share it with that family member, share it with that loved one that you wish could be learning from this episode as well. They will thank you for it. That's a really important point. That's the perspective my wife and I take. And so we look at doing that deeper work first and then we can get to the masculine and feminine polarity. Yes. Then we can get to the attributes and the characteristics that may represent um, masculinity and may represent uh, femininity in a sexual, intimate, attraction, magnetism setting. Yes. Then we can do all the things. But if you don't have the clutter cleared, if you don't have the core wounds cleared that are attracting you and having you behave from that deficit or from that wound, you're just going to keep perpetuating the wound. Yes. So when we look at being a good man, we look at being 
and I'll use the term healthy masculine, right? When we look at being healthy masculine, being, sorry, uh, good at being a man, we're looking at four key virtues, uh, courage, honor, um, uh, mastery, courage, honor, mastery, strength. Mm. I've added connectivity there. So let me, let me just break them down a little bit. So if we look at strength, yeah, if we look at strength, we look at, we look at the physical posture and the structure of, of man. We're, we're physically, you know, larger than females, uh, you know, seventy percent larger in our in our bottom half at least or thereabouts, and fifty percent larger in or thereabouts in our in our upper half mm-hmm. as well. And as a result of that, so we've evolved to really be out into the into into the world in the physical environment. Often, mm-hmm. you know, when we look back at we trace back millions of years ago, there are periods of time where we we lived in very harsh environments as hominoids, and and. Our environments were very dangerous and volatile. And so we adapted that way. So being strong, physically strong in our bodies, um, served a really powerful purpose. It served a purpose of protection, mm. of ensuring or at least maximizing life. Because we all want to live. Like that's just, it's, it's innate biological drive within us to mm. survive, to, mm. to be alive, to experience the world. Mm. Now, as a result of that, we could say, you know, over over many, many years, that developed an aptitude for the feminine or for, for women to look at men and go, oh, that's attractive, that he's strong. Mm. So now we're looking at, uh, because if he's strong, it symbolizes discipline, it symbolizes uh, adeptness, physical adeptness, it symbolizes his ability to stay alive, or this is good for child rearing. Not that she's thinking that, it's these unconscious things. We're, we're, yeah. As humans, we're, we're driven... By fertilization-driven sex, so fertilization-driven sex is a primary driver, and then the need to connect in intimacy—that's also a primary driver. Mm. But often, the fertilization-driven sex mechanism will take a high priority because yep. it's survival, survival of our species. Right? These are these are innate, unconscious drivers within us. Instinct. Instinct. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's instinctual. So strength then becomes really attractive. Courage. You need courage to do the thing that's going to help you survive. Mm. Now, what that also develops is a, a very particular set of behaviors in an individual. So these were foundational to us growing up as men or evolving as men, right? Mm. Mastery with our hands, particularly with our hands. Mm. Can you make the weapon? Can you build the shelter? Can you do the thing that's going to, again, maximize survival? And then honor in the tribe, honor in the community. Can you honor your gifts and contribute that to the community? And this is that's for women as well, but the, particularly strength, courage, mastery, and honor in this context plays an, it, it has an applicable role. I added connectivity there because it, it, it's similarly to honor, but different. We we're relational beings, mm. and one of the ways that we've accelerated our growth as individuals, yes, the prefrontal cortex, yes, the advent of language, yes, potentially finding medicinal mushrooms at the base of a tree tens of thousands of years ago and that expanding our consciousness and all those things. But one of the ways that I believe we've evolved rapidly is in the safety and the presence of each other. Mm. And it's enabled us to accelerate our linguistic um, processing and our prefrontal, the development of our prefrontal cortex. And yes, I get the eating meat piece, all of that. But the relational piece is really important. So connectivity uh, plays a role in that specifically to men. We're talking about men going and hunting, men going and bringing back resources, right? They had to learn how to work together side by side. Mm. They had to learn how to be tactful and strategic. So that connectivity piece, men to men, is actually really, really important. Mm. So I'll, I'll stop and I'll pause there, I should say. And and for me, uh, uh, it is important that we get really clear on being good at being a man before we get 
tied up or, or caught up in being a good man because that is very subjective. Whereas this, again, it's still subjective, but it's quote unquote more objective than it is subjective. It doesn't mean that it, it holds a higher value. Mm. It just means it could be a little more foundational, a little more universal, and it could be a launching pad that we as men aim, aim to move from. Again, this isn't about being the biggest guy in the room or the strongest guy in the room. This is about having confidence in your body. Again, a lot of studies have proven this, have shown that, demonstrated this, that when a man is confident, not arrogant, but confident, he's very attractive to the opposite sex. Mm. He's very attracted, attractive to people that are attracted to him. Mm. So it, go, it can go a long way. Absolutely. Let's talk about healthy femininity. What, what, are the, what are the characteristics or attributes of the feminine when it's in its authentic power? Yeah. It might be useful here to also mention and speak to um, these, these energetic flows. So we look at masculine feminine energetic flows. We can also, and Michaela Bohm speaks to this greatly. We can look at it as active and passive energies. We can look at it as doing and being energies. We can look at it as go and flow energies as well. Yes. So if we, because you know, in modern times, in 2022, um, the conversation around gender and sex and biological sex and and culturally constructed sex and so forth, it's a very complex layered conversation. Yeah. And so sometimes when we use the terms masculine and feminine, a it can be confusing and b it can be very um, activating. Like uh, it can be a charge for many people. It can mm. be an offense to many people. And and look, the conversation around political correctness is probably another conversation. Yeah. And 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 just briefly on that, because I'm not shy to share my perspective. I think we're overdoing it. I think we're I we're too extreme in our PC culture. Totally. At a deficit to our humanity. Absolutely. Um. But I also respect that some people um can be activated in ways that actually isn't serving them. So let's use different terminology. I'm I'm mm. cool with that because mm. ultimately it's yin yang. Right, it's it's mm. that's that's really what it is, mm. right? It's 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 Shakti Shiva. Mm. It's it's looking at these different expressions of the human sphere that reside within us, and how do we bring that into the world, mm. right? So when we're looking at those feminine attributes, when we're talking about characteristics, we're talking about compassion, understanding, empathy. Does that mean that men don't have access to that, or the masculine doesn't? The masculine does, but in 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 their own way, in a different way. Yeah. We're talking about presence and groundedness to earth. We're talking about fullness. The masculine yearns to be empty. The masculine yearns to sit on the top of the mountain, to connect to the cosmos. The masculine is, in most cultures, vast majority is father sky, right? Mother earth. Earth is grounded, wants to be full of sensate experience, wants to feel the world. You know, a man is asking, how can this relationship help me feel free? A woman is asking, how can this relationship help me feel connected? Well, the feminine within that individual is asking that. The masculine within that individual is asking the freedom piece, as an example, right? So when we're talking about creating healthy polarity dynamics, I want to come back to the inner child work. I want to come back to healing our past wounds. I want to come back to getting really clear on who you are as a person, who you want to be as a person, how you want to present, what you align with most. Like, Do you align with a feminine energetic or more of a masculine energetic? And then live in that space. I have a, 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 an assessment that I created, which was, what's your core energetic? You know, and it takes you through a series of questions in the, the main domains of life, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the psychological, and the relational, that help you get a clearer idea of, you know, where you're most, quote-unquote, dominant and where you're most comfortable as well. And again, knowledge is power. Knowledge can be power. So having access to that can be super useful. You've got to get really clear on who you want to be, then integrating that within ourselves. So here's the other thing. Some people will say that, 
if you're a man, you know masculinity. You don't really know femininity. Other people will say that's not necessarily the case. They both reside within us. I think there's a halfway point there. I think mm. males will have a, a stronger grasp on masculinity. If we follow the being good at being a man methodology, right? Mm. And, and females will have a stronger grasp on the essence of femininity. Mm. That doesn't mean that we can't access that within ourselves. I believe we can. Yeah. But I do believe that it's important that we stay in our... I don't want to use the word dominant energetic in, in our prominent yes. energetic, because I think that actually serves us to access the other energetic within us. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a really strong point that uh, Garen made to me when we were doing the empowered, uh, empowered brotherhood workout last Thursday. He said that, cause we were talking about a lot of my best friends are females and the reason for that, I believe, is I find that I'm able to have more complex and more multi-layered conversations. Now, I, I have some very good close male friends, one being Gerard Adams, who I believe you know, uh, you know, and, and, and many back in Australia. And in th reflecting on the really strong male friendships that I hold, it's that they're deeply grounded in their masculine. They're, they're, they're strong, they're centered, they're compassionate. And they've developed their feminine to the degree that we can have heart-to-heart -heart conversations. Mm. We can talk about insecurities. We can you can talk trust about, them. I can trust them. We can talk mm. about inner child work. You know, it, it lends itself to a multi-layered conversation rather than what happened at the mm. footy on the weekend mm. kind of thing. Not, not to stereotype or, or yeah. you know, make, make the masculine sound shallow, but, it, but it's a more multidimensional conversation. Well, it's the unhealthy masculine that will just talk about shallow conversations. Right. Around sport as an example. Right, yeah. the undeveloped masculine perhaps. And so I was, I, I was talking to Garen about that at the workout and he said, dude, me too. He said, until you guys started the Empowered Brotherhood and started work out. And what he said was, it was through finding this brotherhood that helped me develop and unleash my masculine to the next level. It improved my relationship with the feminine because my masculine now had an outlet. That. I had never connected that by uh, one developing their masculine and in particular, connecting with other men at that level gives you an outlet for that real, raw, primal masculinity that made him a better partner. Lots to say to this. <laughs> so do you mind if I um, – I want to ask you permission. Do you mind if I ask you a couple personal questions? Please. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned um, – you know, most of your friendships are female friendships, yeah. right? And, and maybe you've looked at this and maybe you haven't, but just something came to me intuitive, so I want to share it with you. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, you said you, you shared that you have some friends, some male friends. Yeah. Um, and then I asked, but you trust them? And you said, yes. So there's a re reciprocity in trust there and intimacy you can actually share with them, right, quite openly. Absolutely. Would you say you've struggled to, generally speaking, to have male close male friendships over your lifetime? What I would say is that the majority of my male friendships, I, f I can find it difficult to take the conversation to, a, to, to, the, to the depths that is going to keep me engaged. Engaged in it, yeah. Have you ever felt threatened by men? I think earlier on. I think, like I remember, for example, I was doing a speaker training 
I would have been 19, so 16 years ago. Mm. And I remember one of the things that I said to one of my speaker coaches is, uh, when there's more men in the audience, I feel more nervous or pressure or sure. whatever the word was. And so I, th- it, it's certainly not something that I've consciously contested with for of the course. last decade, but I think once upon a time I mm. probably did. Was there ever any, um, presently, potentially now, but in the past, a difficulty to lean in and trust men? Like trust that they'd be able to show up for you, that they'd be available to you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's a common it's an interesting thread to pull, right? Yeah. It's a com- it's a common experience for most men. Yeah. They can't trust other men, they don't know how much of themselves they can reveal. Yeah. Particularly with your circumstances, like even though your father left at a later age, yeah. but your brother also dying as well. Mm. There's and your older brother leaving, just doing his thing, not not with any malice, just leaving yeah. home, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, there's an abandonment by the, the representation of a male. Yes. Yeah. Which, which, is, a, which yeah. is a pattern I'd never summarized in that level of succinctness. Yeah. So that's a, that's a strong realization, I think. And this is, this is, I wouldn't normally, you're quite astute. So Please. I can, I can no, go no. into layers. Brother, we are all layers. learning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you, 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 I can feel that you're a student. And, yeah. You know, we can go layers be, below layers, but there's something there for you to pull at a deeper level, right? Yeah. And then the, 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 the men that you are allowing and, and, and bringing into your life as well, which, which that to me opens up the conversation for men need cultural rites of passage mm. with familiar beings. Yes. See, women they have a very clear rite of passage from girlhood to womanhood. Mm-hmm. That is the menstrual cycle. Mm. We don't mm. have that as men. Like, yeah, we both sh- we all share puberty and we mm. change and we grow and hormonally and we can physically see changes in our bodies and our mm. genitalia and so forth. But we don't have that very distinct rite of passage from boyhood to manhood. Mm. Therefore, over the years, over thousands and thousands of years, Cultures from all over the world have recognized the importance of cultural rite of passage. Yes. This is what a lot of what we do with empowered brotherhood yes. in different ways. And so men need to have that. And if we don't have that, if we don't have the presence of a healthy masculine, and there are certain attributes that, that accompany a rite of passage, but if we don't have the, the, the trust and the ability to be present in other men, and they can support us through our journey, and part of it's done by ourselves in solitude, and part of it's done in the tribe and in the group, we lose that very, very distinct connection to I can trust men. Yes. I can be myself with other men. Yes. I can find myself or aspects of myself with other men. Yes. So when we have had experiences in our lives that have been the opposite of that, like people leaving us, mm. people passing away that are mm. important to us, and then as a result of that, having a quote-unquote negative experience like you had with your mother, mm. it reinforces certain unconscious beliefs about how we can be with other men and how we can be as men um, to ourselves as men, mm, essentially. Mm, mm. And so that that's the importance of, of that piece. Mm. I think the other thing that goes on for me is around the level of depth that the conversation is able to get to, right? Like it, when I'm in relationship at a friendship level with another man, for me, I... It, there needs we need to be able to have a conversation around that that goes into emotion that goes into spirituality. Yeah, that's a values conversation because that's what you value. 
Maybe it's a values conversation. I think of it as depth, to be honest. Well, I, I you value depth. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, so do I. That's, that's what yeah. it is. It's, it's, I value depth to such a degree. Now, look, I've got a lot of uh, male friends where perhaps we don't have those sorts of conversations, but you know, you, you might see them once a month and hang out and have some fun and maybe party and do the fun stuff. But for the men that I connect with on a regular basis and feel a particular kinship to, it's the men that I would, how I would language it, have developed their masculine and also developed their feminine where we can have heartfelt conversations. We can have conversations about trauma and how we're feeling and what's holding us back and our insecurities. I, I love what you're saying. I create friendships in my life. And actually, let me let me share a personal story on this. So, mm. you know, I mentioned my upbringing. I mentioned not wanting to be at home because being at home was tough. But I also grew up in a very strict environment. My father would never let me go anywhere, sleepovers. Forget about that. Like, it just wouldn't happen. I like, mm. just very. My father was very racist. Very, you know, if anyone wasn't, he, he was racist to my mum, and she was Italian. He's like, ah, oh, fuck the Italians. I don't even, like. He was just. Oh, wow. He was anyone that wasn't Greek. And he even hated his own kind as well. He would abuse them too. He was, anyway. He was indiscriminate. He was very, yeah, yes. Um, so it was very difficult to get out, but all I wanted to do was get out of home. Yes. So what I did was I found refuge in my neighborhood and I was able to convince my father through my mother and manipulation, other tendencies that I, patterns that I picked up on as well, yeah. that I could hang out with them. And those, those boys... They became my refuge. Yeah. And so I've been very blessed from a very young age to be able to forge very deep friendships with men. That hasn't that hasn't been my wound. I've had other wounds. That hasn't mm. been my wound. And mm. that's a to me, from what I've come across, a rarity. Mm. So here's the interesting thing. In my friendships today, I can throw down with them, like we'll train together. Yeah. And we'll do quote unquote manly shit. Yep. We'll go fix things together. <laughs> We'll talk about our trauma. I yes. will cry in front of them. Yes. It, yes. They will cry in front of me. Yes. We will talk about sports. We'll watch the UFC because I, I mean, I'm a, I, you know, I, I still fight train. I've been fight training for years. I still fight train. Um, I love the sport. I love athletic endeavor. I will talk about the superficial and we will traverse the deep. Yes. To me, I think that, that, that whole approach to friendship like you playing in all the different realms, it really matters. Whatever your realms are, whatever you define as, and superficial doesn't need to have a negative connotation. Mm. I think it becomes negative when that's all we do. When yes. all we do is talk about the footy, when yes. all we do is 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 have fifteen beers on a Saturday evening. Yes, and there's nothing else. That to me is so monostructured and boring. I, we can't like with my friends now we'll drop into psilocybin we'll drop into all yeah. the things we'll drop into the consciousness expanders and maybe we'll just have a dance party as well and maybe yeah. drink some alcohol too I mean I don't yeah. drink alcohol but whatever like yeah. Yeah. I don't drink not from any religious purposes because I just don't like the, the taste and it doesn't sit well in my tummy but right. give me a few drinks and I'm drunk like it's all good right. we, but we can go into all the realms and that's how yes. I like to live my life and yes. that's just a personal choice but yes. I've found that when we do that as humans oof, man we expand pretty rapidly that's exactly it, brother. I feel like we're, we're full-spectrum beings having a full-spectrum experience. Yeah. And so in my friendships and relationships, that, that, full, that ability to go full-spectrum is, is primary for me to feel a kinship with somebody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel the same way, man. I, mm. I'm very selective with who I spend my time with. Yeah. 
um, I often always, I often have been, I mean, there was a lot of people pleaser in me as well. So in, in my earlier life, I probably made some decisions in my adolescence and my early adulthood. I made some decisions that were about, you know, about in the unconscious projection of impressing the father and seeking validation from my father and that, and, and spending time with men and people that, you know, weren't really in, in great alignment, but I sacrificed that, but I'm very selective with who I spend my time with now. And I want to spend time with people like exactly what you just described, man, that, mm can see me that yes. that can love me yes. that can hold me i'm a big energy man like right. i'm a very big energy and i know that and yep. i need to be able to be held and i can hold man i can hold yes. a room of a billion people a million i know i can yeah and so i need i need men in my life that can meet me in that place and um i really appreciate being very clear on that yes amen that's exactly how i feel let's switch gears to relationships what are some of the most common, because you've been a relationship coach forever, you understand all of these topics, inner child work, masculinity, femininity, relationships, sexuality, all of it. You, you, Having been in the field for as long as you have, you must have seen patterns, right, that arise from, from all of the, the people that you've worked with. What are some of the core uh, and most common patterns that trip people up in relationships? Yeah, to come back full circle again, just for a moment, um, the the unaddressed wounds of the past. Mm. And so when we operate from that place, and, mm. I'll, and I'll be more specific, of course, in a moment, but when we operate from that place, it, it's to the relationship's detriment. Mm. And the relationship is eventually will crumble because either the, the individuals are unable and unwilling to face what's happening in the relationship or they're just caught in this cycle of, oh, well, here's another two, three, four-year relationship. This one down, I'll get to the next one next time. And we become addicted to the honeymoon period as well, right? That's yeah. another thing. But John Gottman's work in, in relationships and the relationship realm is very powerful, the Gottman Institute. And he speaks to um, four horsemen. And, and I'm, I think I've probably forgotten the four horsemen now. Let me see. Um, criticism, stonewalling, Oh God, I've forgotten the four horsemen. Mm. But let me just speak to what what um mm. I've got a mental blank. It will come back to me. <laughs> but let's just speak to Stonewalling and criticism because they're they're two that just came up, right? Absolutely. So that there, the criticism piece, when we become threatened, we become critical. Yeah. And instead of listening to our partners, we point fingers. It's your fault. You did this. You made me feel like this. Mm. Mm. So now we're criticizing. If that person that's being criticized has a history of being, being criticized by his parents, the people that we deify as young children, mm. it's inevitable that we do that, and there's always going to be a fall from grace because my parents are human, then that criticism is amplified by his or hers unresolved childhood wounding. 100%. Criticism is such a big one, man. Criticism is, it feels really shocking to our system. Mm. Because, again, if we have a wound of, always being wrong mm. or never being right or never getting it right, that criticism can really, really hurt. And so what then happens as a result of that, we either go back and forth and clash. So now we're both being hypercritical. Mm. We're both being aggressive or one of the persons will stonewall, yeah. ignore, literally physically turn the other way, yeah. disengage from the conversation not pay any attention to what their partner is feeling. We're not able to come from healthier places. Mm. Infidelity is one of the biggest things that 
um, I see in, in couples as well. Interesting. Um, and, and let me be really clear on infidelity or cheating, right? It's it, cheating within the confines of the... I, I see cheating in uh, non-monogamous relationships as well. Mm. I see cheating in monogamous relationships. It's less about monogamy and non-monogamy. It's more about what are the agreements within the relationship. Firstly, people don't communicate what their agreements are. And they're, they're largely assumed as opposed to having very detailed, clear conversations about it. Yeah. So communication is a big thing in relationship as well. But communication usually is a symptom of something else, mm. either within the relationship or prior to, like old childhood stuff again, right? Mm. But the cheating I'm referring to is the breaking of boundaries. Mm. So I mean, I had a, I have a, I had a, I worked with a with a couple that were in a non monogamous relationship, and then just briefly closed their container for a period of time. Um, and that gentleman, um, he, he cheated on her, not by having sex with another woman, just by literally going on uh, having a coffee date or just ha- having coffee mm. with this woman. Mm. She was heartbroken because he went outside of the agreement. Yeah, that's that's not that's not on. Mm. And so we see people that I see people that get either complacent or bored in a relationship, mm. or they're getting restless in the relationship. Restlessness is another an, an interesting one. It's 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 subtle, but it's really interesting. And when we get restless, pleasure pain thing again, right? Restlessness is a pain. The greater the restlessness, mm. the greater the we, the need for alleviating that restlessness. Mm. How we do that is based on our upbringing and the ideas we formed about ourselves, mm. but also how attached we are to not looking at the wounds, the core thing that is driving the restlessness. Yes. So I see a lot of that, and that's what leads to the cheating. It's not yes. always having sex with other people. No. It's actually seldom that. It's breaking the agreements of the container. It's it's also it's also spending more time with work or spending more time with friends mm. or spending more time with hobbies mm. and not actually doing the work in the relationship to rectify what's coming up in the restlessness. Mm. Mm. Such an important principle, whether it's in a romantic relationship or a business relationship or a friendship, is the ability to disagree well. Mm. And I think a lot of couples can kind of oscillate between two extremes. One extreme is... Uh, we sweep it under the rug, we pretend it never happened because good couples don't fight. Or the other extreme is we go hell for leather and arguments draw out into days, weeks, months, years. What advice do you give to people in relationship to truly resolve an issue when there is an inherent disagreement? Yeah. Yeah foundational do your inner work do your independent Mm. inner work Mm. be responsible for your stuff if there is a chronic condition of miscommunication or conflict or abrasiveness or whatever it may be seek support and we spoke about the importance of being relational beings and how we heal in the presence of of, and the safety of others Mm. find a coach a therapist a shaman some a guide someone that Mm. can mediate and hear what you're saying because often we can't see the forest through the trees. So we can't hear our partners because we can't hear ourselves and we're unwilling to hear them because we're in too much pain ourselves. And sometimes we need someone else who's this objective third party to come in and say, hey, here's what your partner just shared. How do you feel about that? Mm. You know, there's techniques and modalities such as a Margot dialogue or nonviolent communication. And those two are really powerful, especially if you combine them. It takes a bit of practice, but even just using them by themselves, they're powerful communication tools to hear, to listen to your partner, not from a place of pain and wounded. See, I have this uh, 
this term that I use called uh, vertical vulnerability. It's very specific to working with men and working with the masculine. And and vertical vulnerability is essentially um, holding space from a very transparent place. But, but let's unpack that a little bit. What mm. does holding space mean? Because mm. we hear it in the spiritual community, oh, hold space for her sister and brother. And What does it mean? Mm. What, what do you mean when you say that? Mm. So for me, holding space means you can listen to the person that is expressing themselves and not be triggered or not act on the trigger that is coming through potentially for you. Mm. So you can still be available to them without being triggered and you can repeat back to them what they're saying. You can mirror them. That's part of the Margo as well. You can mirror their expression and you can do so in a compassionate way. You can still hold compassion. That's holding space. Mm. And that means you've done enough of your, enough, enough, enough. That word enough is so important. Enough of your inner work to hold that space. So, Couples aren't, we're not taught how to do that as people. We're too busy surviving as kids and too busy surviving as, as, as teenagers and then too busy surviving as adults. And as adults, we're too busy trying to compensate for the lack that we experienced growing up. Mm. And, and, you know, whether that's, again, trying to be the most successful person in the room or make the most money or have the most sex or whatever it may be, you know, whatever mm. your, pick your poison, so to speak. Mm. And so we have to slow down to speed up. And by slowing down, what I mean is, Doing that inner work and really listening, yeah. really listening to our partners. Mate, to reflect back to you, one of the things I find particularly profound is each time I ask you a question about relationship, you answer it from the perspective of do the inner work on yourself, right? Which is so important because when you haven't, your partner could be bringing you something that's relatively trivial and will interpret it as an attack and so then we get on the front foot and it spirals down from there. Whereas what you're talking about is being able to hold space in the true sense, fully listen without reacting, without acting upon any triggers that may arise for you to fully hear them. Because when we're coming from that space, it changes the entire energetics of the conversation. Yeah. From a, from a scientific or biological perspective, we're out of sympathetic nervous system response. Right. We're in parasympathetic. The hormonal profile is different. We're not dumping cortisol and adrenaline, right. ready to fight, flight, fawn, freeze, whatever. Yes. We're, we're in serotonin. Yes. We're, we're present. We're grounded. Right? We're able to hear in a more encompassing way. We're able to ask questions. We're able to be curious. We can't be curious about life if we don't feel regulated and safe in our physiology. Yes. That's the truth of it. Yeah. We can't be curious. I can't ask you questions. You're not interested in asking me questions right now if there's, you know, a saber-toothed tiger knocking on the door. Yeah. Like, you're interested in how do we get the fuck out of here? You know, how do we survive? How do we keep ourselves safe? Yeah. So asking questions is a form of curiosity. Getting curious about your partner's pain can only really occur when you're not charged and activated, when you're in a regulated state. How do you get in regulated states? Practice do, being more familiar with yourself, doing your inner work, somatic release, trauma release work, exploring your aptitude, your your beliefs, who you are. Yeah, your mindset's part of that. Emotional release technique work. Like really getting to a place where you can, hold, quote unquote, hold that space. Mm. That doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. It means that in that moment, that that's the interaction. And when that moment has passed, and it could be an hour, it could be three days, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Then you get to voice yourself and you yes. make those requests, but you have to have those agreements in the relationship. Well, it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is safety. If I feel safe within myself and I can hold space truly for my partner, it gives them that safety, both real and felt, 
to be able to express and be heard. Yeah. And that's all we want. That's all we all want. That's re- that's really what we all desire is to be to be heard, to be mm. seen, to be mm. to feel safe in each other's presence. And 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 these, you know, you, you spoke about can we disagree well, and we can disagree well when yes, we've done all the things I just spoke to, but then we have agreements in place of how we want to disagree. Now, let me be super clear: Christine and I have agreements in place of how we want to disagree, and I'll give you an example. In my extreme, and I haven't done this for a while, but in, in, in our relationship, in my relationship with Christine, but in my extreme, my, my go-to strategy is, you know what? In previous relationships, you know what? You should be with someone else. There's re- reasons why I would do that. Yeah. Hey team, I hope this episode is resonating with you deeply. If it is, please leave a review on this podcast to help us spread the message even further to the people who might need to hear it. One because my 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 self worth was low. You should be with someone. You should be with some rich guy or someone that's older and is established and this and that. I'll just talk shit. Like it was it was me and my low self worth in my insecurity. Yeah. And that would be my go to strategy. It would also be relief, right? Like oh, freedom from the relationship. Right. So sometimes, and I've done this in in the relationship with Christine, where I'm like, you know what? Maybe we should just split up. Mm. Maybe we should not be together. Maybe we should just take some time apart. Mm. And that's me in avoidance. That's old old trauma coming through. Now, we have an agreement that I don't do that. I don't say those words because it's very jarring for her. You don't threaten the relationship. That's right. I don't threaten the relationship. Even if I'm coming from a really calm place, I don't, I don't, unless it's really real for me, I do not threaten the relationship. Now, again, I haven't done this for a while and I don't think it's going to happen again because we really worked through that place. Mm. But after we made that agreement, there was probably two or three times where I did that, where I said those words that I yeah. wasn't meant to say. Right. Now, did she go off at me did she get angry at me did she yell at me did she activate my nervous system no she held it compassionately Mm. and she helped me see that i was breaking an agreement and that's not on so i was able to not through judgment not through self-criticism and self-loathing but through self-observation say no steph i can't that we don't do that we don't so sorry christine let me come back Mm. so these things are going to come up but if you That's don't beautiful. have, yeah, thank you, man. If you don't have these agreements in place, then you've got no roadmap. Mm. Like you're going to deviate from the roadmap every now and then. Mm. That's okay. That happens. Mm. But how you repair, that's the most important. In fact, yes. brother, that's that's trauma therapy. That's trauma. Is it how we repair from conflict and difficulty and challenge? That's mm. resilience and toughness is our ability to move through challenge. Mm. Resilience is our ability to recover from challenge. Mm. Repair is where trauma is really healed in the repair. So how we repair with each other, particularly intimate relationship, when we're talking about very charged individuals, because we come we come with unconscious projections of you know, what our parents were, um, Harville Hendricks, who, who's an amazing author and an amazing mind, specifically in relationships as well. Christine and I both actually met him uh, and his wife. They're, they're mentors of ours, really beautiful. Uh, they're in their 70s or 80s now. We will attract in our adult relationships what we did and did not receive, both consciously and unconsciously, in our childhood. Yeah. And we project that our parents into our relationships. There's a lot of there's a lot of tenderness there in relationship. And often when it gets difficult or really charged or very threatening, we just we, we, we break up too early. Mm. I'm not saying every relationship should stay together mm. at all. Mm. But I definitely am clear that the vast majority of us 
we end the relationship far too early, prematurely, without having gained the wisdom and the knowledge and the blessings from that relationship because we haven't been willing to go to the places Mm. that have been unfamiliar to us and unknown that we haven't visited before, Mm. that that are really charged wounds for us, and we miss the value of that relationship. So guess what we do? We repeat the same again and again. Yeah, yeah. For those watching who are in a relationship and they are having arguments, whether healthy or unhealthy, how do you help a couple discern and distinguish between, you know, we, we just need to find a mutual ground and have some conversations and do the work on the relationship versus no, this relationship is actually, you guys are actually better off going your separate ways. How do you distinct, what, are there hurdles, triggers, criteria that you sort of employ to distinguish between we just need to do the work versus this isn't going to work. If both people are very unwilling or just unwilling to really show up in the relationship, then you're better off going your separate, going your separate ways. Because right. if you're unwilling to do the work when it comes up and you don't want to, then how's it going to work? And I imagine that would be particularly true if one person is doing the work and the other is not even willing. Common thread. Right. That is one of the, the greatest... Uh, I get it from men as well, but largely from women, to, yes. be, to be very honest and yeah. clear, is that my husband's not doing his work and I feel yeah. I'm outgrowing him. What do right. I do? Right. Right. So when that happens, I mean, generally when couples come to me, they're because he, I screen them. So like if one of them is just there for the ride because he's trying to appease or she's trying to appease their gotcha. partner, I don't, I won't take them on. Right. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm just not interested in that. Yes. So when couples come to me, they're both willing. Right? Yes. But that, that's one of the, the, the crux points in relationship is if, if you're one of you or both of you are unwilling, the, the relationship won't go anywhere. You're just going to keep perpetuating the same dynamic. Yes. Yes. Mate, I want to take this to the macro to, to, to finish on. You know, one of the things that's been happening with humanity over the last two or three decades is the feminine is finding its voice. And I think that's a really important part in humanity and the planet getting to where we need to be. Yeah. And for all of the good that the, that movement has brought, there's also a shadow side to it when it goes a little bit too far and it goes into men are bad, Women are good. How do we... So just a small question to finish. (laughs) (laughs) At a macro level, how does the masculine and the feminine interplay and synergize and cooperate in a way where we're not trying to make each other the same, we're not trying to be better than or superior than the other, but there's that yin and yang that you were talking about earlier. How do we harmoniously integrate the masculine and feminine energies on the planet? So the starting point is, firstly, we've been very separate for a long time. Mm. And this may sound um, like an oxymoron or hypocritical, but my suggestion and invitation to us is to uh, remain separate for a few moments in very deliberate ways and let me elaborate Mm. so I believe that women still need to be doing women's work and men need to be doing men's work amen that's going to lay the foundation for a greater equity Mm. in seeing each other then we can come together in more co-ed work. Mm. I'm not saying that co-ed work can't happen right now. Absolutely it can. Mm. And at the same time, we simultaneously 
need to be doing that individual work. Men need to be witnessed by other men. Mm. There's something very special that happens, and I, and I shared this later with uh, earlier, sorry, with rite of passage and um, and the, the mirroring effect and the familiarity of mm. of witnessing another man um, in his excellence, and then being able to work through whatever blocks we have around achieving our own excellence and being inspired by that. And so the more we can clear the clutter of our own past as men with other men, the more healthier versions of ourselves we can bring to that relationship, to the to the masculine and feminine dynamic, collective and individual. The the extremities of any movement, such as the feminist movement, in, in this context as you're referring to, are just that, they're extremities. Yeah. Because ultimately the, the, the core essence of the feminist movement isn't that. It isn't to demonize men and demonize right. difference. Right. Um, it's 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 an it's a, it's an outcome in part of that movement, but not the whole thing. Sure. It's just like certain religions. I would look at Christianity as an example. Um, there are certain sects of Christianity that are very dogmatic. Yep. But does that represent all of Christianity? No. no. Does that rec- represent Jesus Christ's agapistic ethics? No, it doesn't. And so we we look at the extremes and we say, okay, the extremes definitely have an influence. We have to be aware of them and mindful of them, but we don't have to adhere to them. So to answer your question in the most simplest terms, men do men's work, mm. women do women's work, and then we're going to and continue that as we come together in co-ed work, and mm. then we can start to see each other and feel each other in very different ways. Mm. Mm. It all starts with self. Ipso facto, yes. <laughs> Steph, I hope you really feel what I'm about to say, brother. But I, 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 podcast or no podcast, camera or no camera, I just want to give a real deep, heartfelt thank you to you. I, I, I see you in your entirety, brother. And the, I, you know, I, I know about as much as one can from a distance the, the challenges that you experienced as a child, and we've spoken about some of the challenges you experienced familiarly as you grew up. And so I have a deep honor and a reverence for the journey that you've been on to become the man that you are and, and, the, and the partner that you are and the, now the father that you are. And I, I, I want to honor that example and I really want to honor the work that you're doing because you're very good at it. You're, you're a great example of it and you're able to articulate it so profoundly uh, that is, is clearly reaching you know millions of people. Before we wrap, mate, um, where can people f- find more of you? Yeah, thank you, man. Well, firstly, thank you for your kind words, and I do feel that, and I appreciate you. you. And I, I, just to you know, piggyback off that, when you reached out to me, telling me that you were in Austin, you know, I'm, I'm from Australia. Like, like I, there was so was many people reach out to me from Australia, and but there was an immediate affinity um, for who you are as well. Mm. Um, so thank you. Mm. And thank you for reaching out and thank you for, for having me here as well. Mm. And I'm, I'm excited to continue our friendship too. Absolutely. I appreciate you, yeah, man. Yeah, me too. Um, you can find me on uh, any of my social channels at Stephanos Sefandos and my website, stephanossefandos.com. And we'll link to all of that around all of the videos that get posted thank around you. this. Brother, thank you so much. Appreciate you, man. Hey team, thanks for listening. I hope this episode resonated deeply with some part of you. To ensure you don't miss out on any future breakthroughs, take a second right now and hit the subscribe button. While you're at it, head over to Instagram, connect with me there, at Jack Delosa. I look forward to speaking with you soon.